Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, August 25th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... Days of constant rain brings flooding to parts of central and south Mississippi. We assess what's known about the damage and danger with the Mississippi Emergency Management Association, or rather agency. Then a look at two pilot projects that would bring more green solutions to a Texas county's flood control strategy. Plus, we hear from an education professional on the state's assessment results. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The rain continues. Central and southern Mississippi have been drenched with heavy rainfall this week. The most severe coming yesterday, prompting evacuations, closures, and even a number of rescue operations. Homes and businesses have flooded. Parts of two highways have been washed out. And though some waters have receded, even more rain is expected today. Mallory White is the public affairs officer with Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. She speaks with MPB's Michael Guidry about the impacts of this week's downpours and the ongoing threat of flooding. We had some areas that saw upwards of you know, 14 inches of rain within 72 hours. And so we do have um, a few counties submitting official damage reports to us, and I can list them all for you if you want me to. Wilkinson, Warren, Rankin, Neshoba, Hines, Leak, Smith, Forrest. Um, we obviously know that Madison, um, the city of Canton, took on a lot of water as well. And so what we are encouraging, especially residents, to do today is to report that damage. And to do so, you go to msbma.org. There is a tab at the top that says self-report. Click that tab, find the county that you live in, and fill out that damage report. Now, this is not an application for assistance, but this information is used for the state to get a, you know, a wide view of how many homes have been impacted, and the locals, the local EMA directors also get to see that as well. And so um, damage assessments will begin today, and um, so far we've had only one injury reported, and that was in Wilkinson County. Is all of that information one of the first steps towards getting a disaster declaration if, if those kind of things were needed, and is that something that is possible uh, with this with this event? 
Um, so that is a step that we take in, you know, maybe moving forward to requesting a disaster declaration. However, I want people to understand that flooding and getting a disaster declaration is a little bit different than like a tornado. Flooding, sometimes that damage is a little bit harder to see. And so whenever people are doing their self-reports, we're asking you to take a picture of the water line and take a picture of it in reference to your electrical um, outlet so we can see just how high the water got. Um, there are FEMA parameters that we have to abide by whenever it comes to flooding, and people can actually see that on our website as well. We posted it under um, our floods page so people could see, you know, just how high the water gets for FEMA to declare it, you know, major damage or destroyed. Um, I don't know if we're seeing that right now. I know that we've gotten reports of some homes taking on water, but I don't know how high that water got into those homes. And so that's the type of information that we're looking for today. Um, and and we, need, we need folks to self-report. Let us see it. Um, let us see the outside of your home, the inside of your home. And we're looking at, you know, roof damage and, and, you know, do you have water leaks coming through your ceiling, those types of things, and, of course, the water line level. Uh, the 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 rain isn't over. More rain expected today. More rain expected in, in patches, at least right now. You know, for the next couple of days. Yeah. Um, you know, here we're stationed in Jackson. You know, I see the Pearl River raw crossover every day. In, in the last three days, you can noticeably see it get higher. Uh, the 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 tributaries that feed into the the, the Pearl River. Um, in that central eastern part of Mississippi, also have gotten a lot of heavy rain. Uh, what are I mean? Is there is there monitoring? I know that I know that the reservoirs had to open up. The Pearl River um, Valley Authority had to I think release more water out of the reservoir dam. Uh, what is the level of concern you know, when we look at the amount of rain that's come over the last couple of days and potential river flooding uh, along that Pearl River basin? Yeah, we're definitely looking at the Pearl River at Jackson. Um, right now, as of this morning, it's showing that it is at uh, 30.42 feet, and flood stage is 28 feet. So it's already reached above that flood stage. Um, it is still considered uh, minor right now at this point, um, but this is an area of concern. Uh, we do plan on meeting with the National Weather Service, their hydrologist, to talk a little bit more. And the National Weather Service breaks it down very well as to what is going to be affected, what are the trigger points uh, per feet. So um, as I just said, that... At 30 feet, one of the trigger points that we're looking at is water backs up into several creeks and streams in the Jackson area, and water is under some homes near the river in the Byram area. And so that is, they, they kind of lay it out as, you know, as the river levels increase of what we can expect and where we can expect this water to inundate. And so some of the areas that are up next, if this, if it continues to rise, Byram area, and then in Jackson, South President, South Ferris Street, those types of areas. So we are asking people, um, if you remember what happened in 2020, um, that, that type of flooding, we're asking people to take precautions now, especially if you were affected by the 2020 flooding that happened. I believe it was in um, early February, whenever that happened. Um, but as far as 
any type of federal assistance right right now, we're not there yet. We've got to see the damage numbers. And so that is what we're hoping to collect more from our counties and from the people. The people can give us those numbers directly. Anything else about what's happening? Uh, I know you said you're going to begin your damage assessments today. Uh, I know that you know, the, the agency has been pretty busy the last couple of days. What's your message? Yeah, we're just asking people to use caution. I understand, you know, businesses are still, are still open. Work is still going on. People have to go back and forth uh, from their home to work. And we're just asking folks to use caution and use patience as well, because with these types of conditions, um, you need to go a little bit slower on the roadways. But if there, and I saw it yesterday on my way home, if there are barriers up and that road is closed, there's a reason it is closed. That road could be washed out. Um, there could be water on top of the road, and you don't know what's happening underneath. I mean, we saw two highways yesterday washed out, one in Newton and one in Scott County, and you just never know. And um, unfortunately, as we saw in Hurricane Ida, when a road washes out, it can be deadly for folks. And so we're asking folks to just use that caution. Um, do not drive if you don't have to, but we understand work is still going on. So if you are driving, be smart. Um, download MDOT's app. They have wonderful information on the current road conditions. And so we're just asking people, use patience, use common sense whenever you're out there on the roadway. Mallory White, Public Relations Officer with the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up, a look at two pilot projects that would bring more green solutions to a Texas county's flood control strategy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. On the original Southern Remedy, the doctor is always in and ready to take your questions about health care. To subscribe, search for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. You can email a question to remedy at mpbonline.org. When your kids are too young to drive, they still have to get places, lots of places. So you spend lots of time in your car or SUV driving them to those places. Thank goodness for MPB Think Radio. While you're waiting in the pickup and drop-off line with the Trazillion other parents, you have fresh air, Southern Remedy, Morning Edition, Everyday Tech, and a host of other MPB programs to keep you company. Go to mpbonline.org to find out what's on and when. You take care of the kids, we'll take care of you at MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. It's been five years since Hurricane Harvey brought devastating flooding to Houston, Texas, and its neighboring towns. And as we heard yesterday in part one of this two-part story, nature can play an important role in slowing, absorbing, and filtering floodwaters. Now in Houston Public Media series on Harvey's fifth anniversary, reporter Katie Watkins looks at two pilot projects that would bring more green solutions to Harris County's flood control strategy. Roberto Vega with the Harris County Flood Control District stands before a pond at the University of Houston Clear Lake campus gesturing towards the middle. We're looking at three floating matrices, uh, which is just a fancy word for different materials of floating structures. The floating matrices support wetland plant life. Vega is piloting a project to build floating wetlands that could be added to detention basins across the county. He says when it rains, pollutants like fertilizer, dog poop, and other chemicals get into the waterways. And stormwater wetlands can help filter out those pollutants and improve water quality. What we look at is 
do these nature-based solutions enhance water quality by treating bacteria? Does it remove that pollutant from the waterway? And when we discharge from our facility, is that water coming out cleaner than it came in? In the pond, the wetland vegetation has completely overgrown the man-made elements, making them look like three naturally existing floating islands. Wildlife has also taken over. A turtle basks on one end of an island while a heron hunts for food on another. Vega says when it rains, the islands rise with the water instead of being submerged. And so the root system, which actually can be 10, 12, 13 feet long, is rising with that and it's actually interacting with 13 feet of water column. So it's having a better contact that's treating the bacteria. And because they're floating, they can be moved around using canoes and strategically placed to treat water where it's needed. If you only have wetlands at the water's edge, you're only getting treatment at that that point. Vega says so far, the results show the floating wetlands are highly effective at removing bacteria. He says next they're going to test them at a larger detention basin where each floating island will be 3,000 square feet, roughly 10 times the size of this one. But... Green solutions can also be scaled way down. Rain gardens are probably one of the smallest and cheapest things that you can build to have an effect, and that's what I want to quantify. That's Robert Snoza with the Harris County Flood Control District. We're in northwest Houston at a lot that was bought out after the homes there repeatedly flooded. Soon, a rain garden will be built here. It'll be one of five rain gardens Snoza plans to build at buyout lots across the county for a pilot project. The rain garden itself will only take up about 10% of the lot and look like a standard flower garden. So the areas will be mulched and there'll be intermittent plants in probably just a six or seven different plant palette. The key is that it will be depressed to collect stormwater and the compact soil will be replaced with looser soil that lets roots grow deeper, allowing more water to infiltrate. It will, in certain smaller storm events, just not be a burden on or not add anything to the storm sewer system that everybody else is using. The topography of the rest of the site will help lead the water into the rain garden. Snoza says the plan is to also have signage to educate people on how to build a simple rain garden on their own property. One rain garden's not going to do much for anything but this right here. But let's say like what if 25% of the people in Houston had a rain garden on the property that was theirs that they could maintain and I think it would have a pretty big effect. I'm Katie Watkins in Houston. Katie Watkins is an environmental reporter with Houston Public Media. The report is an excerpt from their limited series podcast called Below the Waterlines, Houston After Hurricane Harvey. It's available at HoustonPublicMedia.org slash waterlines or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Coming up, we hear from an education professional on the state's assessment results. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're print impaired, MPB's radio reading service is here for you. Our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you. For information and to see if you qualify, call us at 601-432-6301. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Recent academic assessment scores released by the Mississippi Department of Education show the state is recovering from the education losses of the pandemic. Proficiency levels from the Mississippi Academic Assessment Program for the 2021 2022 school year have rebounded to match or exceed levels from 2019 in many of the areas tested. Erica Jones is president of the Mississippi Association of Educators. She tells our Michael Guidry the score shows students and teachers are headed in the right direction. Especially when you look at our ELA scores, those are our English and language arts scores. Those scores are reported by MDE as having an increase, those scores as well as our science scores. And one more thing that I like to uplift here is that I know uh, over the past couple of years, MDE has really put a lot of uh, time and money into our ELA programs, especially at the elementary level, making sure that our scholars are receiving the best that they can receive as far as reading instruction. In fact, we've had other states to reach out to us to see what we were doing with reading instruction and all of that falls under that ELA umbrella. It's one thing to look at the results and kind of compare them, you know, to those pandemic era scores and kind of seeing, okay, have we rebounded from from the pandemic? But let's pull the lens out a little bit. Uh, how how do the achievement scores in, in these tests, well, what, what story do they tell us about maybe more long-term uh, education goals in Mississippi? Uh, how do they look compared to pre-pandemic? Uh, is there anything in there that kind of shows a growth or a trend one way or the other? Yes, once again, when you look at those ELA scores, English language arts scores, uh, reading is housed up under that umbrella. It really shows that our state, MDE, as well as our teachers here in our state, has put forth an effort in raising those test scores. I know for one, I was in a classroom, I was a second grade teacher, and I know we really put a lot of emphasis on getting our scholars up to the reading levels of other states, especially our surrounding states. Uh, That was a main importance uh, to us as elementary teachers, uh, put in a lot of emphasis and using a lot of different strategies to make sure that our scholars were doing what they needed to do. Especially here in the state, we have the third grade gate, the test that uh, sometimes limits scholars from moving on if they do not pass it. So a lot of effort has gone around in improving reading instruction, and these past test scores show that. Uh, a lot of emphasis on elementary. I, I, a little bit about the high school. I know that this was the second year that the U.S. history test, um, uh, based on the uh, the based on the the new test. It was the second year of a new test. Uh, the first year, students were tested, but the scores weren't used in the accountability. And the second year um, did show some 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 significant growth in proficiency. Um, does that say anything about the value of in-person education uh, when it comes to teaching things like American history? And I think even the biology test was the same way. Yes, there is nothing that replaces in-person learning. There is nothing that replaces an effective uh, classroom teacher. I know uh, some of our legislators, uh, I think I really have credited 
to computer programs. There is no one computer program that replaces an effective teacher. That is why it was so important when we advocated around our scholars returning to in-person learning, because it's just that interaction that's needed to help our scholars. And I believe that is one of the reasons why we're seeing an increase in our test scores. Our students really needed to be in the building, and I applaud our educators for stepping up to the plate and making sure that they were successful on these tests. Let's flip real quick to, to math. Um, what did these the scores say about how math instruction is is being scaffolded to, to get the results needed on that algebra test in high school? Uh, are we seeing gains in the elementary, middle school, and high school levels? Uh, yes, we are seeing gains in math, and we never want to leave out our math educators and the hard work that they do. We also want to uh, focus in on something that was mentioned earlier here, uh, building on those skills. As you mentioned, the algebra test is given at the high school level, of course, ACT. But one thing that we've learned in the past with our math scores is that that is uh, an area, a subject area that our educators really have to work together. For example, uh, once when I taught second grade, I had to lay down to my first grade counterpart to see what part of the math program she was teaching so that when I got the second graders the following year, I knew where to pick up at. And I know one part and one reason why we've seen success in math is because a lot of our schools are using what we would call a PLC, which is a professional learning community, to collaborate and come up with lessons to enhance our math and to be better at teaching that at the not only elementary but the middle and high school levels as well. I'd like to pull the scope back even more. Uh, these are the, the tests. This is data from the tests administered by the state of Mississippi. Um, in, in some cases, if not all, um, it, they're very insular, and that is these are tests given across the state of Mississippi. Uh, they're not nationally standardized tests. And so the results show you know, how students have grown or, 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 or demonstrated proficiency uh, based on these specific tests that are based on Mississippi Department of Education standards. What can we glean and how much can we extrapolate from these test results when we want to kind of apply them uh, as far as national gains? Like, what do these tell us about where Mississippi is growing nationally, uh, being that these are insulated test results you know, that are based on Mississippi standards? Sure. Our standards here in Mississippi, as compared to other states, are very effective, and they are very competitive with our other states here in the nation. In fact, uh, when compared to other states, it shows that our Mississippi standards sometimes are higher than other states. So when we look at those standards and the items that were tested, I, I am comfortable in saying that they're compatible and that they will equate to a national test that is given at any time. Our Mississippi educators have worked and have looked at different resources in order for that compatibility to be there. And I am sure when I say that our students in Mississippi can compete with scholars across the nation. Well, Erica Jones with the Mississippi Association of Educators, thank you so much for your, your insight and your perspective. Thank you for your time. You have a great day. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.